The reading today is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and that will be on page 93 of your church books. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, thank you so much for reading, and um, please do keep that passage open, and um, we're going to be looking uh, a bit more closely at it. But um, we're going to begin with a video clip, and if you've been here in previous weeks, um, it's just worth saying that this one's a little bit heavier uh, in terms of the topic. It's from a documentary uh, about Rio Ferdinand and the loss of his wife, and uh, we're going to see a little clip from it. So um, if it brings up anything that might feel a bit heavy, please do feel free to take some time out, but just to warn us. Let's play the video.
So that was from a documentary called Being Mum and Dad and uh, about Rio Ferdinand and the loss of his wife. And it's really hard not to feel for Rio in that documentary. He lost his wife at 34 years of age. And as they say, they had all these plans for this house to live out their retirement together. But death had other ideas as it brutally uh, brought those plans to an end. And it's no surprise, is it, that it's a struggle to talk about this topic. As Rio said, we put the idea of death into a box because it is too painful to open that box. And it's strangely ironic because all we can achieve in our modern age and all the way we, we pride ourselves on being open and honest with each other, actually this is a topic we very much struggle to discuss with one another. It feels like nothing can be said. We feel like we can enjoy life while it lasts now, but when it comes to that moment, we can't really know what would happen. And despite our marvels of the modern age, modern medicine, our marvels of technology, still this ancient of enemies still plagues you and me. But is there a different approach to death? Is there a way that we don't have to fear death or put it in a box, but think differently about it? Well, according to John and the events listed in this reading, there is. Because this event, John says, changes everything when it comes to death. We're going to see in this passage, first of all, the life that Jesus achieves... Then we're going to think about why, though, it's hard to believe. And then we're going to see the life we receive. See, first of all, then, the life that Jesus achieves. See, when it comes to death, it can feel like we've got little to say because no one's got the answers. No one comes back from death. No one can speak authoritatively about what lies beyond the grave. And so we're left with a few best guesses. Uh, The passage begins with Mary um, going to the tomb in the dark, but it speaks in a far deeper sense of our own darkness when it comes to uh, coming to this topic of death. See, we approach the grave like Mary in the dark quite often, without understanding. But something changes for Mary. As she approaches the tomb, she sees that the stone is rolled away from the tomb. And in her surprise, she calls two disciples to come and investigate. And as they look into the tomb, they see something remarkable. Or rather, they don't see something which is remarkable. Have a look at verse 6 and what happens. It's on page 93. We read that then Simon Peter came along behind the other disciple, and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. See, it seemed that Jesus' body had been removed. But very strangely, these strips of linen and the face covering had been left. 
Now, if this was a, a grave robber, and there were grave robbers around, uh, or the soldiers had taken it, they would not have thought in their right mind to take off the linen from the body. And they certainly wouldn't have done the laundry and placed it on uh, all neatly laid out like that. See, something else has happened. And we see what that something else is in this response of the disciples. Take a look at verse 8 and what John says. See, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in inside. He saw and believed. Now, it might seem a strange thing to say. He saw and he believed. I mean, believed what? Believed that the body wasn't there? Well, we know that. That seems too obvious. Uh, believed that uh, uh, the belief here is something else. Uh, and that belief is hinted at in verse 9 when we read about Jesus rising from the dead. See, all through John's Gospel, Jesus has been speaking of this very moment when he would rise. Uh, we're going to do a bit of page flicking. Turn to page 11 with me, if that's okay. Keep a page on, uh, keep your finger in page 93. And you'll see that, that right at the beginning of this gospel, page 11, at the top of the page, verse 19, Jesus answered the crowds, destroy this temple and I will rise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And turn with me to page um, 49 uh, in chapter 10, page 49. And about halfway down the page, verse 17, Jesus says this, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And so Jesus didn't just speak of coming to this world to, to live, nor to die, but to live again, to be raised, to take up his life. And so this is not just some sort of nice ending tacked onto a, an otherwise tragic story. This is the whole mission. This is where things will always lead in. And this is enough for this disciple to look at the linen and the empty tomb and to believe Jesus at his word. It's fair to say at this point, um, the disciple is on his own. Uh, Mary's not quite there. Peter's not there. And next week we're going to see Thomas, uh, famously called Doubting Thomas, not because his parents named him that, but unfair, uh, but because of his feeling about this news that Jesus had been raised. And if we're quite sceptical about these things, well, we're in good company with these disciples. And uh, please do come back next week to think about Thomas. But this shows us, doesn't it, that this is the crucial question. Everything has been built into this very point when Jesus would raise, be raised. And the question John raises for us is, what do we believe as we peer into that tomb? See, something happened around this tomb in the first century. That's undeniable. Something happened that led to this global growth of this new movement of Christianity to where it is today. 
And the question is, was it because of what Jesus had promised? Or was it because of something else? See, here is the first proof that what Jesus speaks is true. And the life he offers you and me can be trusted. And when I was looking into Christianity, this was just massively helpful for me because as I did look into Christianity, I had all sorts of questions, all sorts of doubts, all sorts of things buzzing around in my mind. And actually, when I saw this, I thought, actually, those questions, it's not that they're irrelevant, but they all hinge on this question. Did Jesus really rise? And it may be that lots of us here, we've got all sorts of questions buzzing around in our mind, all sorts of things that we might think. And the question we really want to ask ourselves is, did Jesus really rise? Because if he did, all those questions find their right perspective. See, that's the first thing we see here. We see the life that Jesus achieves. But I'm guessing for a lot of us that actually this is a hard thing to believe. See, like Rio spoke about in a video, we feel the pain of death. We feel perhaps angry, as he put it. We feel like we want to put it in a box. We feel confused. We don't feel like we want to believe. Nor does Mary uh, in this account. Um, She uh, is left on her own. The disciples go back home in verse 10. And she's at the tomb again, crying in verse 11. And of course, her reaction's understandable, isn't it? She's just lost her friend. She feels like the body may have been stolen. And it feels like the final insult to injury. And then she encounters Jesus in verse 15. Look at what what happens next on page 94. He asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Robohimai which means teacher. As we've just said in passing, that her reaction here is one of the reasons I'm persuaded that this is actually a factual account rather than a a kind of um, story. Because if you were making this up, you wouldn't put in a detail that Mary thought that Jesus was first there to mow the lawn. See, it's not a glamorized story, is it? It's the account of someone who was really there. And Mary isn't naive, she's not gullible, she's not kind of hopeful in the face of death. She knows the pain, but then she sees, and then she believes. See, it's not just the empty tomb that points to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus actually appears to people, to Mary here, to the disciples later. And uh, in another book of the Bible, it speaks about Jesus appearing to 500 people at once. These were real people, people you could go and ask and check and and ask, were you there in that crowd when that Jesus appeared? But whilst Mary does believe, actually her reaction is called into question. Do you notice the repeated question here in verse 13? The angels, she sees, and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And in fact, Jesus asked her the same question in verse 15. Woman, why are you crying? Now, what's going on there? Well, they're not 
question her emotional response. I mean, it's absolutely right she's crying in the face of death. And we see Jesus cry uh, at uh, Lazarus's tomb uh, earlier on in this gospel. But actually, it has that sort of sense of, why are you crying, given what's happened? So if you look at John's gospel in a wider context, that this moment, as I say, had been predicted, and this moment was meant to be not a moment of sorrow, but a moment of joy. So have a look at page 78 with me, and uh, you'll see here that Jesus speaks about what's going to happen after he dies. And he says in verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And the point being that this moment has come. Sure, grief was appropriate, but now is a moment of joy because Jesus has raised. And that question, why are you crying, Mary? It carries that sort of sense of, have you not understood the significance of this event? That actually Jesus is risen. I remember back to the, um, the first vaccines in the end of 2020. Does anyone remember this lady? Uh, I love the Christmas jumper. Just, it's just one of my favourite moments of what was otherwise a pretty bleak year. Um, she was the first uh, woman, I think, in the whole world to receive a vaccine, not in a trial, uh, but in normal usage. And uh, if you were kind of an alien from another planet, you might look at that picture and think to yourself, what's the big deal? Uh, okay, someone dressed in blue is stabbing an old lady uh, with, uh, in the arm. But actually, knowing the context of that year, knowing the context of what had taken place, this was a moment of great hope. See, this felt like the beginning of the end. But we have an answer to what has otherwise been a terrible time. And it's something like that with this resurrection account. That as Jesus is raised, here is a moment of joy. Not because death is easy, not because we shouldn't be bothered by it, we should. But actually now there is hope because Jesus has been raised. See, we're not just um, resigned to the fact that we put death in a box and ignore it. We don't have to pretend it doesn't come. See, we know death has lost its sting. We know that death has an answer because Jesus has opened the tomb and been raised. But how does that affect you and me? Well, that's what we're going to see in our final point. See, at this stage, it's just been one appearance, isn't it? To one person. And we might think to ourselves, what significance has that got for me? Well, um, we see actually in what comes next that actually what Mary experiences has significance for the whole world. Uh, See, Mary's emotions, they do a 180 uh, as she recognises Jesus in verse uh, 16. And you can imagine, can't you, the joy she must have felt. Um, we're all familiar with the kind of airport hug, aren't we? You know, we haven't seen someone for months or years. You remember it in that film, The Christmas One, Love Actually. And, um, you know, the, the, the feeling of not seeing someone for that long and embracing them at the airport 
I'm pretty sure this must have been an airport hug type of moment as she was greeted with the risen Jesus. But actually, Mary is rebuked for her action. See, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, go uh, to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Of course, Jesus is not being harsh with her, but he is telling her not to cling, not to hold on to her. Why not? Well, because there is a new reality to announce. Notice what he says there. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It's a small detail, isn't it? But it speaks of incredible reality. We've been speaking about life in this series. In fact, uh, right at the beginning of these booklets, we've got the word life. Uh, because we've said that John is offering for us eternal life, or rather Jesus is, and John's telling us about it. And this is what eternal life means. Not just to live beyond the grave, although it includes that. But to know God as our God. To know the Father as our Father. See, this is the news Mary is to announce. This isn't just one encounter for some one person. This is news of a complete different reality. That because Jesus has risen, people like you and me can call God not just a God or the God, but our God. And not just the Father, but my Father. See, that is the message that Mary had to take to the disciples and the disciples to the nation and the nation to the world and this news even comes to us this evening see when I was looking into the Christian faith this is the bit I just didn't get for a long time see I thought of God as a kind of cosmic head teacher type of figure after a while I was persuaded he existed and persuaded he was there but I kind of saw him as a kind of moral policeman there to put the limits on my life but actually, someone showed me this, that actually it's not about that at all. It's about knowing God as my God. Knowing God as my Father. Not because there's some intrinsic worth in me, but because of what Jesus had achieved. See, here is a God who looks on me with all my faults, with all my weaknesses, and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, through Jesus. See, when it comes to death and uh, what we were thinking about at the beginning, we're not left in the dark. It can feel like no one's got the answers, we're just having our best guess. But actually, because Jesus has risen, we can know that life has been achieved in him. And while it's hard to believe, we know that life can be received through him. So that we're not left just with our loss or our anger or that feeling of wanting to wrap it up in a box and put it to one side. Because Jesus has risen, we can know that there is life for it forever. And that life involves calling God our God, my God, our Father. And the question as we close is, will we believe See, for this disciple arriving at the tomb, the linen left on the tomb was enough. And 
uh, he believed. For Mary, she needed to see Jesus. And we're going to see next week some disciples who need some more persuasion. But the question is, if we believe, well, life comes to us. We can call God our Father, my Father. Now, perhaps we're new to things and we're looking into things and we love having people here at St. Mary's who are doing that. And we're not quite there yet. And please let me encourage you to keep looking, to keep reading, uh, to think about the Christian Explored at the end of this month. But for those of us who do, yes, we may feel the pain of death. We may feel it's a horrible shadow. But we're not in the dark because Jesus has risen. He's achieved life for you and me. Life with knowing God as our God and God as our Father. Thanks so much for sending in all your questions. Uh, I'm going to hope we'll try and answer them uh, as best as possible. You're anyone? No. Right. Good <laughs> uh, Question one is an easy one, don't you worry. Uh, why does John refer to himself as the other disciple, the one Jesus loved? I mean, this is amazing. Um, it may not be John. We think it's John, but there's nothing kind of linking explicitly that that is John. So um, he speaks, it's the person writing, and he speaks about being the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, and I think that's an act of humility, so not even to name themselves, uh, but to uh, speak about uh, them as a kind of recipient of Jesus' mercy. So um, probably that's John. The early church thought it was John. That's why this is called John, but we don't know. Great. 100%. That's happened. Brilliant. Yeah. Question number two. Uh, why does Jesus ask Mary to go and tell his brothers rather than his disciples or followers? Well, I think this is another case of just that slight alteration in language which speaks of a brand new era. So um, uh, Jesus, yeah, could have said, go and tell the disciples or go and tell that lot who have betrayed me. <laughs> Uh, but he doesn't, as he says, go and tell my brothers, my God, your God, uh, my father, your father. And, uh, yeah. That's really encouraging. Yeah, yeah, no, it is yeah. very encouraging, yeah. With Jesus' brothers. Yes, brother. yes. Yeah. And if you read on, you'll see that, well, no, come back next week. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Let's all get ahead of ourselves. Yes. Brilliant. Here's a slightly more um, uh, tougher question to ask, I think. Um, what can we say to people who have no Christian faith and talk about their dead relatives looking down fondly on them? Yeah, that this, as you say, is, um, I'm aware, a very sensitive area. And um, uh, forgive me if I'm sort of uh, not you know, sensitive enough in how I answer that. But um, I think the thing to say is that uh, we are to weep with those who weep. And there's a sense in which... Um, Jesus stands at Lazarus's tomb and weeps with the mourners there, even though he knows he's going to raise him, and even though death is uh, defeated in his resurrection. And so there is a sense in which, you know, it's not that a funeral, you know, we should say, well, hang on, how do you know that? Or tell me why you say that. That wouldn't be appropriate. I wouldn't have thought. So I think having compassion on people, understanding that death does hurt, and recognising that even as Christians, and even with our hope that we know that... Um, death still is painful um, I guess you know not on the funeral but um, you know in the kind of weeks and months um, that someone might be responding this way I guess we would want to gently um, 
raises that question of how do we know? And I think this is what I was trying to get out at the beginning with Rio. It's just so, you know, our modern world for all its knowledge and for all its discoveries just has, is pretty, unfortunately, pretty clueless when it comes to this question. And, um, and yet Jesus does tell us we can know, can't know everything, but we can know that life has been uh, one in him. So I think I would gently encourage that person um, to think, why is it they say that? And is there a better alternative that is more certain and more trustworthy? And I think there is. Yeah, just yeah. point with Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. That's a quicker answer. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. He, like you just said uh, in, a, in your talk earlier, that he gives us hope in the face of death. Absolutely. Yeah. Really yeah. So it's not in the same category as us just, you know, death is painful and it is good to have hope. But that's not the reason we say this. The reason we say this is because we think it's true and because Jesus has said it. Um, yeah, so that's a point to him. Brilliant. Great. Last question then. Uh, I know the story and may even believe it happened, but how does it, how does it promise anything for me? <laughs> oh, where do I start? Um, well, everything, doesn't it? Um, uh, I think this is kind of what I've said, probably I was running out of steam, but in my final part point of the sermon, um, that point that actually this is one encounter for Mary, but actually this speaks of an offer for everyone. Uh, and so John, if you just turn to the back of this gospel, you'll see um, that here's John's purpose. I know we've looked at this before, why he's writing, uh, literally the back page. Um, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So here's the promise that if Jesus He's telling the truth. If this really happened, people like you and me can have life in his name. And as I was saying, that life isn't just, you know, we may live beyond death, but we have life now, knowing God is our Father, and uh, life in all its fullness um, now. So, um, what does it offer you? Well, completely new life, really. Um, a life not running away from God uh, but knowing him as your father, not fearful of him, but knowing that everything has been uh, paid for in Jesus and not fearful of what might happen to us in the future because we know that we're safe in him. Yeah, that's so encouraging. Mm. Great. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for your questions. Thank you.